Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you, Dave Guinness, today. Thank you for bringing everyone here safely tonight, and just uh, be with Pastor Jesse and give him the words to speak tonight. And just pray, Amen. Turned on. All right. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the back table because we're going to definitely use those tonight. Um, hey, real quick, before we leave tonight, like when we get done at the very end, um, I want to ask you guys to don't go anywhere yet because some of you may already know this, but there is a young man in the high school. He's a 10th grader by the name of Asher. And Asher had a surgery yesterday where apparently he had a tumor on his lung and uh, a four-hour surgery turned into an eight-hour surgery where they had to actually cut open his torso and do all kinds of stuff. Um, and since some of you guys know him, what I would love for us to do is take just a quick little video of you guys just saying hey to him, hope you get well soon, um, just so we can send that to him and let him know that a whole lot of people love him and a whole lot of people are praying for him. So we're going to do that at the very end tonight. I right there I, I did not know that but thank you so yeah we're gonna we're gonna do that will you guys do that with me tonight yeah. awesome good all right so what book are we studying okay thank you it's on the screen right it's not on the screen did you just lie to me Clayton Newton wow tell you what grandpa's getting bold here all right, so Galatians so for those of you who are familiar with kind of what we do anytime we study Hey, anytime we study a book of the Bible, what we do is we actually talk about some basic things that we need to know about that book, like who wrote it, when they wrote it, why they wrote it, all that good stuff. So I'm going to ask these questions. If you know the answers, great. If you don't, that's okay too. If you're not paying attention at all right now and you have no idea what I've said so far, let's go ahead and dial it in so you know what's going on tonight, all right? So the book of Galatians, who wrote it? Paul, when do we believe it was written? <laughs> okay, a long time ago, specifically around 49 to 54 AD. Um, who was it written to? Not jail. Churches in Galatia. Okay, so he's jumping ahead on me. So why was it written? It was written because false teachers. There were people coming in who were adding to the gospel of Jesus. They were saying, hey, yes, you need to be saved by Jesus. You need to put your faith and trust in him. Be forgiven of your sins by his actions on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb. But then they were saying, but there's other things you have to do as well. You've got to, you've got to fall in line with the Jewish tradition or the Jewish law in order to actually be saved and be a Christian. And the problem is, that's not what scripture teaches. In fact, the main theme of this book tells us what scripture teaches. And what is that? salvation by faith alone it means there is nothing else other than salvation through faith alone you can't work your way to God you can't be good enough you can't earn his love you can't earn his forgiveness you simply must recognize that you're a sinner and you ask for his forgiveness and scripture tells us in that moment you are forgiven and then you have the opportunity to pursue him and follow him and glorify him for the rest of your life. That's what he's writing about as he goes through this book because these false teachers were coming in and they were adding to the gospel. And if you read through Paul's writings in the New Testament, you will find out very quickly he has a heart to make sure people understand the gospel 
to make sure they understand what it is and what it is not so that there's absolutely no confusion. And as we jump into this tonight, I want you to think about two questions. I want to ask you these two questions and we'll come back to them at the end. But it's something we see very clearly in what Paul writes tonight. And the first question is this, who has God called you to reach with the gospel? Who in your life, who are the individuals, who are the people that God has called you to reach with the gospel? Because what happens a lot of time is we think, you know what, people need the gospel, so I need to bring my friends to church. And I need to let my life group teacher share the gospel with them. And I need to let the pastor share the gospel with them. But if you're a disciple of Jesus and you've put your faith and trust in him, then God has called you to reach people with the gospel. So who has he called you to reach with the gospel? And the second question is this, who are you partnering with to reach them? Because we're not supposed to do that on our own. We can, but that's a very lonely thing to do. It's a very tiring thing to do. And what God does is when God lets us experience his salvation through Jesus Christ, he immediately puts us in community with other people who are pursuing Jesus. And now we have the opportunity to partner with the people around us in reaching people with the gospel. And we're going to see how that plays out here tonight. So I'm going to ask you guys to do what I always ask you to do. Stand in honor of reading of scripture. And we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. And Miss Cassidy, I just lost her name. Cassidy Wildman is going to come up here and read it for us. <laughs> it's funny, I couldn't think of your name, so I said it anyway. Is this one on? Let's get that wireless mic on. There we go. All right. There you go, Miss Cassidy. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, not was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they say that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised who worked also through me for for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and... Cephas Mm -hmm. and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to be to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you again for who you are. Thank you that we can come together and that we can spend time seeing who you've called us to be tonight, Lord, because of who you are. Lord, I just pray that we will uh, be different because we've been in your presence tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, Miss Cassidy. I'll give it up for Cassidy. So let's, let's just step back and walk through this and, and see the things that, that Paul is showing us. So I'm going to start right there in verse 1 again. Listen to this. 
He says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So if you remember so far in chapter 1, Paul has been addressing these false teachings and the, really what he's been doing so far is he's, he's kind of giving his resume. He's giving his background. He's telling them why they should listen to him. So he's basically coming in and saying, here's who I am. Here's what God's done in my life. He gave his testimony. He tells how Jesus Christ came to him and changed his life and his eternity. And now he's talking about this idea that he's been going around since that moment, since God changed his life, and he's been telling other people about what God has done. He's been spreading the gospel. In fact, it says right there, it says for 14 years after that long period of time. So Paul's been doing ministry for a long time. And he's traveled all over the known world. He's planted churches. He's been on missionary journeys. He has not been quiet about what Jesus has done in his life. And he makes this passing, almost passing comment at the end of that first verse that I think is something very important that we need to pay attention to. Where he says there, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and taking Titus along with me. And he just keeps right on going. But I want to stop there for a second because he, he has these two different names that he mentions and what he does is he shows us that he is not doing ministry on his own. That first name that he mentions is a guy by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas, this is not the first time that he has partnered with Paul in ministry. In fact, Barnabas is the one that brought Paul to meet the other disciples for the very first time. We find that in the book of Acts, chapter 9. The verses will be up here on the screen, starting in verse 26. Look at what happened. It says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, this is Paul, he attempted to join the disciples. So Paul came to Jerusalem. He went to be with the other disciples, the guys that had walked and talked and learned from Jesus. And it says right there, And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So when he shows up, they're scared of him. Because his reputation has preceded him. Remember, if, if you weren't here, Paul was formerly known by the name of Saul. And Saul's job for God, he served in the Jewish church, he was raised, he could have been a Pharisee, all of those things. He was persecuting Christians. He was trying to wipe out Christianity. That was his goal. And as he was on the road to this place called Damascus, Jesus Christ came to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, God changed his life. And from that moment on, he began to preach the gospel and he began to tell people who Jesus was. But people still knew his old reputation. And these guys that are disciples, the ones who are spreading this gospel of Jesus, they're nervous about him because they know who he was. But then it goes on here in verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. So the disciples are scared of Paul and yet it's Barnabas that says, hey guys, you need to know what God's done in his life. You, you need to have something to do with him. And it sounds like Barnabas is the one that's partnered with him here. And then actually Barnabas, if you continue to read in, chapter, in Acts chapter 11, and we go back and forth because when we're talking about Paul's story and talking about the early church, a lot of that happened in the book of Acts. And if you go back and continue to read through that book, you find out in Acts chapter 11, 
Remember, Paul has gone to the Gentiles. Do y'all remember what Gentiles are? What are they? Non-Jews. Sometimes you can just shout it out. It was the non-Jews. So that's what Paul is doing. That's who he's taking the gospel to. And what has happened, the belief is that these false teachers came in and told those non-Jews, yes, you can be Christian because you've put your faith in Christ and trust in Jesus Christ, but you've also got to do this Jewish tradition called circumcision. And if you don't do that, you're not really a Christian. So he's gone to all these non-Jews who would not have gone through that physical tradition. And, and he's trying to tell them, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to go through that tradition. You simply have to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So there's almost a split in the early church and in the leadership of who are we going to share the gospel with? Is it going to be God's people, the Jewish people, or is it going to be the Gentiles as well, the people that that aren't technically God's people and yet God's saving those people? Well, Barnabas was already known as somebody who had gone to the Gentiles. Listen to what happens in in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, if you don't know who Stephen is, Stephen was like the first martyr of the early church. Stephen was stoned for his faith. And when I mean stoned, I mean like they took rocks and killed him. And Saul, scripture tells us, was standing there watching. So he approved of it. That's who he was. And when that happened, the early church scattered. Because if the goal was to wipe out Christianity, you kill some of the important people, and guess what? Maybe everybody else will shut up. But that's not what happened. When the early church scattered, Christianity spread like wildfire. And that's exactly what happened here. It says that, persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But... But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. It means when those early Christians who were Jewish scattered, some of them only talked to other Jewish people, but some of them talked to the non-Jews. And as they did that, those individuals began to put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. It says in verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So this is the guy Paul's mentioning here. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. And then verse 25, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So it makes sense that Paul's traveling with Barnabas again now. Because they have a partnership that they've had in the past where they have taken the gospel to non-Jewish Gentiles and seen their lives and their eternities changed because of the power of the gospel. He's partnered with this guy to do ministry. And then there's another name he mentions there. Do you see which one that is? What is it? With, with, he says Barnabas and 
Titus. Titus is the other guy he's traveling with. Now, Titus was a young man that Paul had mentored and trained for ministry. We actually walked through the book of Titus last this past summer on Wednesday nights. If you missed that and you want to find out more about that, you can go check out the podcast. It's like on Apple Podcasts and all that stuff too, Spotify, everything. Go back and listen to that, but you'll see the instructions that Paul gives to Titus because he's a young man that he raised up and trained him for ministry. And get this. Titus was not a Jew. Titus was what can, was be considered as a Gentile. That's going to come into play again in just a couple verses. So Paul mentions that he's walking around or is going to Jerusalem with these guys. These are men that Paul is working with side by side to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's something that you and I have to pay attention to. Because Paul knew the importance of partnering with other people in ministry to be more effective for the gospel. Sometimes it's tempting for, for you or for I to, to start trying to share the gospel with people, but we do it all on our own. We do our own thing, and, and all of a sudden we start realizing, hey, we're living out our faith, but we're doing it all by ourselves. And there's days where that's hard. There's days where that's a struggle, where you don't feel like reading your Bible. You don't feel like talking to somebody about Jesus, where you just need somebody to come alongside you and say, you know what, I'm here with you on the days that it's hard. That's what Paul is doing right here. And that's a reminder for us that we are not meant to pursue Jesus alone. We're not meant to share the gospel by ourselves. We're meant to do it in a community with other people that encourage us and that we can encourage. And we have the opportunity to partner with other believers to see what God will do. So it makes sense that that's what Paul is talking about here. He's partnered with Titus. He's partnered with Barnabas. Now remember, I told you just a second ago, Titus is a Gentile. He's not Jewish. He was the young man that Paul had mentored. And as we walked through that book, we saw some of those things that he talked to him about. But look at what Paul starts talking about next in this next verse. Uh, excuse me, Galatians 2, verse 3. Got myself turned around there. He said, Even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So now he's giving Titus as an example of the fact that Jewish tradition was not crucial to the gospel. That this act, if you back and you read the book of Titus, what you find out real quick is Titus was a Christ follower. He was effective in spreading the gospel, yet he didn't participate in this physical act of Jewish tradition. That whole idea of circumcision in the Old Testament, that was a symbol of God's covenant with his people. That was an agreement. God said, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, and that was a sign of that covenant in the Old Testament, but that wasn't the case anymore after Jesus came. They weren't bound by that tradition anymore. In fact, Paul writes in Romans um, that there's, there's an importance of the tradition, but what Paul talks about is the fact that the tradition, the importance of it is not the physical act. The importance of it is the condition of your heart. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 2, 28. He says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. 
And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. See, what had happened is these people who were spreading this idea that you had to participate in this Jewish tradition, this act, they had forgotten the spiritual significance of the physical act. They had forgotten what it represented. They had forgotten that the fact that that it represented that they were God's people. And that is how they were identified as God's people. It was a matter of submission of their life to God, every part of their life. And they thought, you know what, if I just do this one thing, I'm right with God. And what he's saying here is, no, this one thing, it's not bad, but that's not what makes you right with God. That's not what saves you. That's not what gives you salvation and forgiveness and God's love and grace and mercy. It's not a physical thing you can do. It's submission of your heart. It's submission of your life to God. That's what Paul's talking about right here. And the problem is even today, we mess this up. We do this in the church now sometimes. Not, not just our church, but in churches in general. We've got traditions, things that we do. There are some things that churches do, and you ask people in the church, why do you do that? And the answer is, well, we've just always done it that way. And nobody knows why. And that's a question we have to ask when it comes to things in the church because right now I can tell you that I've been in churches where where we take communion, Lord's Supper, whatever you want to call it. And there are people in the church who will do that and I'm just talking church in general. I'm not zeroing in on ours. But church in general, where they do that because you know what? They really like getting a little sip of grape juice on a Sunday morning in the middle of service. And they like that little bread. It's a tiny snack, but it's still a snack for some people. And they do the tradition, but you know what? They've lost the understanding of why we do that. They've lost the fact that we do that to remember what Jesus Christ did with his disciples right before he gave his life up on the cross. The fact that he was trying to help them understand the significance of what he was about to do through that communion that they were doing. That it's Jesus who gave his life for our sins. That that grape juice represents his blood that was spilled for our sins. That that bread represents his body that was mutilated for our sins. That's huge. But we get lost in the physical act and forget about the spiritual significance. Same thing with baptism. Baptism is an amazing opportunity for you to tell someone else what God has done in your life. And it's a representation of you dying to your old self and your pursuit of your sin and pursuing Christ with the rest of your life. The symbolism of going under the water, buried with Christ and likeness of his death and coming out of the water, raised to walk in newness of life. That's huge. But sometimes in churches, we get so focused on how many can we get through the baptismal that we forget about the significance of what's happening. And that's what Paul's trying to say. It's not a matter of the physical act. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And we have to be careful that we don't lose sight of the fact that the gospel has to come first and foremost above everything even tradition in the church always has to be first. That's what Paul's helping us understand here. These false teachers, they didn't think that way. And he says there that they came in to spy out the freedom that we have in Christ. And that's something that Paul writes about 
and over and over again. What that means is that as disciples, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are no longer bound by your past. Because before you've been forgiven of your sins, you know what this feels like. You know the guilt that you feel over things that you've done, over things that you've said, over the fact that that people know who you are and what you've done and, and they classify you. And yet when you're forgiven by Jesus Christ, that changes. Scripture tells us we're forgiven and there's freedom in that as we pursue Jesus Christ. We're not bound by who we were. We are free in who Christ has made us to be. And yet what Paul says is that these people have come in and they've tried to steal that freedom. He says this in Romans 6, 17 and 18, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves to righteousness. See, what Paul shows us is that when you give up being a slave to sin, you're still a slave. You're just choosing to be a slave to Jesus Christ. And that's a whole different kind of slavery that we're talking about. Because when you are a slave to sin, you are bound by your sin. You can't break free from it. You can't get away from it on your own because you're not physically able And you don't need to raise hands on this, but think about your own life. Think about that thing that no matter what you do, no matter how many times you say, you know what, that's not going to happen again. I'm not going to think that again. I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to say that again. How often do you go right back to that thing? Because we're slaves to it. And yet when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us he breaks those chains of slavery. And now instead of being captive here when we don't want to be, Scripture tells us we have the opportunity to willingly submit to Jesus' plan for our life. And we become a slave to him. And there's freedom in that because we are no longer bound by those chains that we can't break on our own. That's why Paul writes in Romans 7, 6, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And it's because of that reality that Paul says he didn't back down. He wasn't going to let people come into the church and spread things about the gospel that just absolutely weren't true. And that's important for us to remember because here's what happens in churches sometimes. Sometimes people will say things, whether it's from a platform or in a classroom or some kind of setting, and you'll hear that and you'll go, I'm not quite sure that's what scripture says. And yet, because we find in Scripture that Scripture says, hey, as a church, we're supposed to promote peace and unity, we don't say anything. But the problem is, is if we sacrifice the truth of the gospel for peace and unity, we're not being faithful to Scripture. Scripture tells us, hey, live with peace with everybody as much as you can. And as a church, we're supposed to be a unified body. But Paul says here, hey, when there's people who are coming in and they're telling you something different than what you know to be true from Scripture, you don't keep the peace with them. You need to stand up and you need to say something. Paul's throwing out all kinds of great advice and opportunity for us to be able to live out the truth of the gospel because we cannot compromise it. That's why he said in chapter 1, even if angels come to you and preach to you something different than what you know to be true that you've heard about God, you need to get rid of them. Paul's not backing down. 
He's not going to let anybody come in and fool people and lead people away from the truth of the gospel. And then he says in verse 6, he says, from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. What Paul has told us earlier, and I kind of skipped over those verses where he talks about, he goes up and, um, where was it? Let me find it here. It was back in verse 2. He said this. He said, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I am proclaiming among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, when Paul says that, Paul isn't saying, hey, I'm trying to find out if I've wasted my time all these years. That's not what he's talking about. What he's doing is he's going to these people that, that he says you know, seem to be influential and he's trying to make sure that what they're talking about is the same gospel. He's not looking for their approval. He's just making sure that the message is the same message that's going out because remember, you've got some Jewish people that are only preaching to Jews. You've got some Jewish people that are preaching to Gentiles and he wants to make sure that they're not hearing two completely different things. He wants to make sure that it's all the same thing. And that's why he goes to these early church leaders, these ones that seem influential. But I love what he says here. He says, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. What Paul is saying right there is he's saying that, that, that the gospel is infallible, but men are not. It, it doesn't matter what their role is. It doesn't matter if they're leaders in the church or not. We're here to talk about the truth of God's word. That's what the focus is, and that's what matters. He respects these men, but he's not going to change the message because he knows the message he has is true. He just wants to make sure that they're sharing the exact same message. And he goes on in verse 7. He says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to be the, to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they go to the circumcised. Basically what Paul is saying right here is when I went to them and I told them what they were, what I was preaching, and they told me what they were preaching, we found out really quickly we're on the same page. But we're going to two different people groups. That matters for us. Because as you have the opportunity to share the gospel with people, you're going to find out sometimes that you have the ability or the opportunity to reach certain people in your life that other people can't. You may have siblings in your own house where you can reach certain people that you know and your brother or sister can't reach those people. I've, I've told my brother-in-law this for a long time. He, he's an artist. One time he was a tattoo artist. He has covered sleeves, legs, chest. I mean, he's got tattoos everywhere. And I've told him this. There's people he can go talk to about Jesus Christ that will never give me the time of day because he just has a different look. There's people that I can talk to that would run away scared from him because he's so covered in tattoos. God puts us in life with different abilities and different tendencies, and what that does is he begins to play that out in the way that we can reach people with the gospel. 
Now, hear me in this. That doesn't mean you decide, you know what, I'm not going to share the gospel with those people because those aren't the people I'm comfortable with. Scripture tells us we are called to share the gospel with anybody and everybody we encounter. But sometimes you're going to better connect with certain groups. And that's what we see here. That's what Paul is saying. He's called to the Gentiles. They're called to the Jewish people. A great way to understand this is, think about the church. We've got four pastors in our church. We've got our senior pastor. We've got me who works with children and students and families. You've got Pastor Clay who works with young adults and adults. And you've got Pastor Kevin who does worship and missions. Now, every one of us has the exact same calling on our life from God. God has called every one of us to study his word, to preach his word, to lead people to Jesus, and to make disciples. All four of us, the exact same calling. Let me let you in on a secret. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have the exact same calling too. It may play out differently. You may never stand on a platform and preach, but maybe you lead a small group. Or maybe you lead something else. Maybe you teach in children's ministry. Maybe you do all those other things. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are called to reach people with the gospel. But in those four roles, we're reaching different people. And that doesn't mean one group is more important than the other or one group is lesser than the other. Adults are no more important than students. Students are no more important than children. Children are no more important than adults. But each of us has been called to a specific area by God and gifted in that area with a different people. That is what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, I've been called to reach those who aren't Jewish. Now, if you read through scripture, you actually find out that every time Paul went to a new town, the very first thing he did, if there was a synagogue, a place of worship for the Jewish people, that's where he went first before he talked to anybody else. So he didn't ignore Jewish people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He went to them first, but he always made sure he got to the people that weren't Jews so that they could hear the gospel of Jesus. We are called sometimes to specific people in specific ways, but we have the opportunity and the responsibility to share the gospel with as many people in different areas of our life as we can. And we can't slack on that responsibility. And it says here that the apostles affirmed what Paul was preaching. They agreed on a strategy to, strategy to reach all people with the gospel. The same God, the same Holy Spirit empowered all of them. They were called to different places and to different people, yet they carried the exact same message of hope and love and life from God. And then he finishes here in verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. That's a good reminder for us because many times, many times you have to meet a physical need before you can share the gospel. There's a phrase I've heard my entire life and some of you have probably heard it as well. They have to know how much you care before they care how much you know. You can go and try to share the gospel with somebody who is starving and guess what? You know what their greatest concern is in that moment? Not the gospel. It's the fact that they're starving. And it may be that you have to share a meal to earn the right to be able to share the gospel with somebody. I see this all the time and I'm not knocking it because some people are effective with it. But maybe you've been in a city and you've seen a street preacher 
where they're standing on the corner and they're waving a Bible and they're yelling. I saw somebody at one of the last festivals, festivals we had walking up and down Highway 17 carrying a wagon. One guy had a wagon and a speaker. The other guy had a microphone and the guy with the wagon was filming the guy with the microphone and the guy with the microphone is talking about how you're going to go to hell and, and, and the churches today, they've got it wrong and that's not the gospel and he's just basically yelling at people the whole time. Now that may actually reach somebody, but you guess, guess what? Most people did when they walked by him. They kept right on walking. Because he was out there trying to share the gospel. That's a good thing. But his approach basically told everybody, I don't really care. I just want you to hear what I have to say. Sometimes you've got to stop and meet a need and have a conversation so somebody knows they, that you care about them so that you can earn the right to share the gospel with them. And that's what he's saying here. And as you walk through scripture again, you see time and again where Paul did exactly that. He wanted to make sure, and these early church leaders wanted to make sure that the people who were in need weren't ignored. And it was a real concern. In the first century, there was a time of widespread famine, especially in the Eastern Roman Empire, especially in Judea which is the region that all of these people were preaching. So there was a real physical need. And these guys are saying, hey, make sure you do what you can to meet this need. In fact, it tells us in Romans 15, 25, and 26, it said, at present, however, this is Paul, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. What you see there in verse 10, you, you see that Paul knew what he was supposed to do and he had to make sure that he didn't ignore those that didn't fit into the category of the people he was trying to reach. And sometimes that was the needy. See guys, there's some major things going on here. A lot of times when we read scripture, sometimes we think, oh, that, that's cool and we read through it and, and it's random and Paul's talking about a whole bunch of different things. But the two main things that we see throughout this passage are those two questions I asked you earlier. He starts off with it, and he finishes with the opportunity. Who has God called you to reach with the gospel? We talked about this a couple weeks ago when some of you took the life books. Who's that person? Who's that group of people in your life that you know needs to hear the truth of God's word? Who has God called you to reach with the gospel? If you sit here tonight and say you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God has put a calling on your life. God has given you the responsibility to share the gospel with the people that you encounter every single day. Who has God called you to share the gospel with? And who has he given you to partner with to do it? Who is that person? Who is that group? Who are you partnering with to reach those people? Paul lists names. Paul can tell you it's Barnabas, it's Titus, and if you walk through other books, it's Timothy, it's all of these people that he has partnered with to reach people with the gospel. Who are you partnering with? If you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, I don't know, may I suggest to find somebody in this room? Because there's a lot of people in this room right here tonight that follow Jesus Christ, pursuing him on a daily basis, and you do not have to do this alone. You have the opportunity. I can tell you guys, for, for me, the other adults in this room, those are the names I'd put out there in a heartbeat. Because they 
toil, they labor day in and day out. You know why? Because they love you guys. Because they're called to share the gospel with teenagers. Let me let you in on a secret. I talk to people at church all the time who will come up and say, God bless you. I don't know how you do what you do. And they're talking about you guys. But you know what my response is? I can do what I do because of the team we have. Because of the partnership we have to share the gospel with teenagers and with children and with families. Who are you partnering with to share the gospel? God has put a calling on your life to share it and he's put people in your life to help you do it with. Don't miss those opportunities and don't miss those people. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come together and, and, and worship you and learn about you. And God, we thank you for your we thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. God, I pray right now that every single one of us, Lord, put somebody on our mind tonight that we know needs to hear the truth of your word. God, maybe it's somebody in here right now that doesn't know you. And and if that's you tonight and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, you've never submitted your life to him, you can do that right now. Scripture says it's, it's saying, God, I'm a sinner. And these are my words. These aren't special. You can use your own words. But God, I'm a sinner. God, I can't forgive myself. God, I need you to forgive me. I know Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I want to follow him with the rest of my life. Scripture says that when we confess our sin to God, when we ask him to forgive us, he does. And in that moment, we belong to him. Not just that day, but the next day and the next day and for the rest of your life and for all of eternity. And now you have the opportunity to pursue him, to honor him, and to help other people understand what God's done in your life when you share with them. If you're here tonight and you've never made that decision, you can. You can come talk to me when we stand up and start singing. You can come talk to one of the other adults in the room. We would love to help you walk through that. But don't miss that opportunity and don't miss the people that God is putting in your life to glorify Him with. God, we thank you for who you are. We just thank you for Jesus. It's in His name we pray.